And if you would open with me in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 4. Jonah, chapter 4. brought an extra pair of glasses in case I lose a pair while I'm up here. And the outline is in your uh, bulletin. Jonah chapter 4. The title of the sermon this morning is The Prophet Who Went From Hero to Zero. Jonah chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you be well to be angry? Lord, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for this time and this opportunity. I ask and pray, God, you open our hearts and our minds to your word. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen. Let's review the first three chapters of Jonah. In chapter 1, Jonah ran from God. He was the disobedient, backslidden prophet. In chapter 2, Jonah ran to God. He was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. And he cries out to God for deliverance. He was the awakened prophet. In chapter 3, Jonah runs, ran with God. He was recommissioned. It was like the reset button was turned on. He obeyed God's command to go to Nineveh and preach against it. He was the rebellious prophet who was given a second chance. Much to his chagrin, Nineveh repents, and 120,000 people are saved. This may be the greatest revival of all time. Now, if the book of Jonah were only three chapters long, and there wasn't a chapter four, it would have ended on a high note with 120,000 people repenting. It would have been great. Jonah would have been known as the hero. It would have ended as, and they all lived happily ever after. Jonah would go out as on the top, on the top. Jonah would have gone out on top. But instead, he goes out as the worst prophet in the Old Testament. It would have been His finest hour. But instead, it was his worst. After being part of the greatest revival of all time, 
Jonah walks away from the city greatly displeased with God. He ends his legacy on a bad note. His actions are bad. His anger is bad. But what's even worse, he has a bad attitude. It's not how you start the Christian life. It's how you finish. And he ends as the self-centered prophet. This morning I want to preach on Jonah, the fourth chapter. Jonah, the prophet who went from hero to zero. It's a simple sermon. Simple. Three simple points. Jonah was not compliant. Jonah was not content. Jonah was not compassionate. Let's look at the first one. Jonah was not compliant. The word compliant means to be open to instruction, willing to learn. Jonah was not compliant. He was not teachable, not conformable, not coachable. You have to be teachable. The 49ers are getting ready to go to the Super Bowl. Okay? If you like that, say amen. And the, one of the things that Coach Shanahan has to do is he teaches his players how to respond. He, he's teaching them, this is what you do when they, when they make a move. You go this way or with that way. That's being teachable because you make one false move and what happens? They're going to go and score. You have to be teachable. And in verse 1, look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, And it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Exceedingly angry. He is burning with anger. The word in the Greek, in the Hebrew here, means to burn. To burn. What does that mean? Have you ever gone to a fireplace that's burning? What is it? When you get your hand close to it or on top of the stove, how does that feel? It is hot. And this is what the word angry is referring to. It's a hot anger. We would say in, in English, he is livid. He is seething. That's how angry he was. He's ticked off. And God asks him twice in verse 4 and in verse 9. Is, do you do well to be angry? And, angry and, and, and Jonah is so angry, so angry, that in verse 9, he even says, Yes, I have a right to be angry. Yes, angry enough to die. That's how mad and angry, ang- mad doesn't even do it justice. Anger, seething. He's so angry that he is talking back to God. Oh my goodness. I, I can honestly, I don't even think I've been this angry in my Christian life. I don't think I've gotten to that. To be so angry that he talked back to God. Why was he so angry? What was going on? Why? Because God showed the Ninevites mercy and he didn't destroy them. That's the reason. Jonah knows the character of God. He is struggling with a serious heart and theological problem. Issue. That his heart problem was he hated the Ninevites. And the theological issue was that God could show mercy to wicked people. 
and still be just. He was struggling so much. He even quotes scripture in verse 2. He says, when he's describing God, For I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He's quoting scripture to justify his anger, and it comes from Exodus 34, 6. You don't have to turn to it. It says, God is telling Moses, I am the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But Jonah leaves out verse 7 in in Exodus, where it says, Who will by no means clear the guilty? The NASB says, yet by no means will I leave the guilty unpunished. See, God tells Moses he's two things. He says, I am compassionate and I am committed to punishing sin. In Psalms 1.6, it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the evil will perish. So Jonah tries to create this uh, This simple picture of God who loves everybody and doesn't punish anyone. No judgment. He uses the Bible to justify his anger. But Jonah is really what he's doing. He's twisting the scripture. The truth is, God must punish sin. Because he is holy. God has to punish sin. But people twist the scripture in order to undermine the Bible's authority so they don't have to obey it. You see, they misinterpret the Bible. Basically, what Jonah's doing, he is berating God with scripture. And whenever we twist the scripture to make it say something that we want it to say, the Bible says we are foolish. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 26, 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Ouch! That that hurts. So Jonah's misuse of the Bible reveals he's not teachable. He's not compliant. He's not open to instruction. Jonah is being self-righteous. And he believes, he still believes, God does not have his best interest in heart. All three chapters before this, God has been doing everything he can to bring him along, to teach him. And yet he still believes God does not care what he feels. Jonah is like the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18, 21, who having been forgiven, refuses to forgive others. Gehazi was uh, Elisha's assistant in the Old Testament. And he was familiar with this prophet. He served this, this prophet, Elisha. He knew everything that Elisha did. He served him. He was there working with him side by side. He was familiar with his teachings and the miracles he did. Eighteen of them. But yet, even though he lived his life surrounded by all these miracles and the teachings of Elisha, He never applied it to his life. You hear, but you don't obey. Isn't that interesting? It's kind of like Judas. Judas lived his life 
around Jesus, saw the miracles. He watched them. He heard the teaching, but he never applied it to his life. Isn't it interesting that you can go to church on Wednesday night Bible study, at the Saturday men's breakfast, on Sunday service, just like this, week after week, month after month, year after year, and never apply it to your life. You're not teachable. You're not compliant. You hear it, but you don't obey it. You're not teachable. You still don't learn. You can hear thousands of messages on, on God's faithfulness, on, on God's holiness, on how he died on the cross, how, how you have to watch out for pride, all these things. And yet, you never change. Just hear it. You're just hearing it. You're not teachable. Let's pretend. Let's pretend something. Let's pretend you just had a heart attack. Pretend. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. And you go, they have to do the operation, they put in a stent, and the doctor tells you, you know what, Ken, you got to lay off those uh, McDonald's cheeseburgers and those uh, salty fries, greasy fries, no high cholesterol food. You got it? You, you want to bring down that cholesterol. You understand? And then next week, Ken goes, nobody's looking, goes to McDonald's, gets... gets Gets his, gets his double Big Mac and all the fries and the shake and all that. He's not teachable. That's not teachable. You have to be teachable, compliant, willing to learn, open, listening. My grandson, we were outside in the backyard. We were playing, and I learned something. you got to keep your eyes on them uh, 100% of the time. I was trying to clean up and do some stuff. and I turned and looked. Where's Danny? Where did little Danny go? And he was in my shed. And I was scared. I was really, I think, mostly of Jesse. Oh, no! <laughs> so I go in there and I get him out. What are you doing? Danny, you can't go in there by yourself. That's naughty. You can't go in there. And he starts crying. Sorry, Papa. Sorry. Okay, okay. You don't go in there anymore. No more without Papa or, or, or somebody. You got to go in there. You can't go in there by yourself. Because I have a lot of dangerous tools in there and things like that. And I'm glad to report Danny is teachable. He hasn't done it ever since that one day. Never, ever. And if he wants to go in there, he comes and gets us, and we go in there, and I want balloons, or I want some, you know. <sighs> Danny, is teachable. You have to be teachable. Proverbs 9, verse 8 and 9 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, for he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Teachability. As a Christian, teachability is a willingness to learn. A willingness to listen. You have to be open to instruction. Jonah was not compliant. 
There's a story in the Bible about Peter and Jesus in Luke chapter 5. You don't have to turn to it. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus comes to Peter in the morning. And they're out there washing their nets. And the reason they had to wash them, they had to mend them, the holes and everything, before the next time. And so they're out there working on the nets, getting them ready for the next day. And Jesus comes and says, Peter, I want you to go out again and uh, cast out your nets over here and let your nets down. And Peter's like, Lord, we just came back from going out. We've been out all night. All night, and we didn't catch anything. And But, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And he gets in the boat, goes out, throws out his net where Jesus told him to, and there were so many fish that they caught that the net started breaking, the Bible says. So many. You know, Peter was teachable. Peter was listening, willing to listen. He could have said, Lord... I've, I've worked all night. I'm, I'm, I'm dog tired. I'm, I'm, I need to go home. I need to get some sleep. But no, Peter was teachable. And he did listen to the Lord. And he went out a second time. That's what we need. Peter listened and obeyed. He was teachable. Listen to me. To succeed in the Christian life, you need to be compliant. Teachable. Open to instruction. Jonah? Jonah is, is, is selfish. He's over here, you know, kill me. I want to take, take my knife. It's better for me to die. Jonah is acting selfish, like a child having a temper tantrum. He is so angry that he wants to die because he didn't get his way. Jonah is not teachable. You know, and in the Bible, it tells us so many things. So many things. When it comes to finances, the world says, keep it all. That's your money. But God says, don't keep it all. Give some. When it comes to respect, be, seek honor, seek respect. But what does God say? God says, be, be humble. The world says, be, 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 uh, be served. Try to get everyone to serve you. The Bible says, be a servant. Serve one another. When it comes to popularity, the world says, be nice to those who are nice to you. The Bible says, love your enemies. Love, love, love those who, are, uh, who you don't like. When it comes to success, the world says, seek worldly success. Go to the top. God says, Succeeding Christ by denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and follow me. When it comes to uh, independence, the world says, don't, don't submit, be independent. God says, submit, submit to authority and submit to God. You see, you have to be teachable as a Christian. And I, what I see here with, with, with Jonah is that God is so patient. Oh, my gosh. Jonah, right there, it says, Therefore now, O Lord, verse 3, Please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? That is so 
patient. The NASB says, do you have a good reason to be angry? The New Living Translation says, is it right for you to be angry about this? God is being so patient. He doesn't thunder. Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> that would be something like I would say. Who you, you, better, you better recognize. Jonah is upset. He is mad, angry, boiling, mad, angry because he is not teachable. He is not teachable. And this is very important as a Christian. You have to be teachable, compliant, willing to learn. There's so many people that don't want don't want that. I don't want, I'm going to do it my way. You're not teachable. You're not compliant. You want to grow? You want to succeed in the Christian life? You have to be teachable. That's why you're here this morning. That's why you're here. Many of you here are here to learn. to. Be, and what's the whole reason? So we can be more like Jesus. That's the whole point. We want to be like Christ. If you're like Christ... That's, that's, that's the ultimate goal, to be like him. You have to be teachable. So one, Jonah was not compliant. Number two, Jonah was not content. <laughs> Jonah was not a happy camper. <laughs> Let me read verses uh, four through nine. Five through nine. And it says... Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a plant and it came up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do. Well to be angry, angry enough to die. <laughs> <laughs> if I didn't be- read this, I would not believe it. I would not believe this. Joni, Jonah is not a happy camper. He was not content when he was commanded to go to Nineveh and preach. He was not content when he fell asleep in the boat and they woke him up and said, get up, pray. He was not content when they cast lots and the lot fell on him and he got discovered. He was not content when he told the sailors, just throw me overboard and the storm will die. He was not content when he sank to the bottom of the sea. He was not content when the big giant fish came and swallowed him. He was not content when he was in that dark, smelly, stinky fish confined for three days. He was not content when he preached and they repented. He was not content that God relented from destroying them. He was not content when 120,000 people got saved. By the way, I want you to notice something. 
Do you know how long this sermon was? And yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overturned. It's eight words in the English language. And what's even more amazing, it's only five in Hebrew. This has got to be the shortest sermon I've ever read. It's got to be. And I wonder if somebody's here is thinking, man, I wish Danny's sermons were shorter. Just a little bit shorter. Just, yeah, he, maybe like, maybe ten letters, ten words. <laughs> I was just wondering. Come talk to me if that's you. So Jonah was not content. He was not content that Nineveh was spared. And in verse 5 it says, he was so angry, he went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He is so stinking angry that he goes and sits down and there he's waiting for judgment to come. He's still hoping, holding out a prayer that they really didn't repent. They really didn't. They they didn't mean it. God's going to get him. I know it. Oh, no. Jonah isolated himself. He sat out there and... If you know where this this area, the Mediterranean is hot. He's out there. It is hot. And he's pouting. He's mad that they are are still not being destroyed, annihilated. He is so angry. He isolates himself. He's alone. He doesn't go and encourage them and teach them. He doesn't go and and try to edify them and, and celebrate with them. No. He distances himself from them. That's how, how angry he was. Look at verse 6. It says, Now the Lord appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it may, might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. This, this is the, the first time the only time that Jonah is content. The only time that he's happy because it, it comes to, uh, for his comfort. He got saved from all that heat. The Lord, did you catch that? The Lord appointed a plant. This is the same word that God used in Jonah 1.17 when it said that the Lord appointed a great fish to come. So this was another act of mercy. The Lord appointed a plant to deliver Jonah from the heat, just as he did in in chapter 1 when he appointed a giant fish to deliver Jonah from drowning in the sea. That's God's mercy. Another act of mercy. I I remember one time we went to uh, help my brother and sister-in-law in in Calusa, California, down down past Sacramento. And I remember it was nighttime. It was like 9 o'clock at night. I was in the shade and it was 100 degrees. And I was sweating in the shade. I said, oh, man, I got to get back to Redwood City. This is, this is unbearable. It was so hot. Just hot. It's, and Jonah's not content. So, but he was happy. He was happy that God sent this plant to grow and provide that shade. He was content. 
Then what happened? Verse 7. But when the dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. There he is. Jonah is sitting in this blistering heat now, and he is not content. He is not content that this worm came and attacked or destroyed this plant. He is angry again in this hot, blistering sun. And then look at the next verse. Verse 8. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that, so that he was faint. Here, this scorching east wind comes out, and it is hot. Have you ever been in wind that's really hot? It's just got all this heat in it. This wind is called the Scirocco wind. And it causes your skin to dry out and become like sandpaper. It's, it's dry. Your, your, your skin. You ever seen movies where their lips are all chapped and, and peeling? That's that kind of wind. It sucks the moisture out of your body. And Jonah, he is not content. He's in this hot, blistering sun and all this heat's on him and he's drying up. He is not content. I think Jonah might have been bald. You know, because when you got a little hair, it kind of helps a little bit. It's not, it's not a real hat or anything, but is, is it harder? Is the, is, the, is the heat harder when you don't have any hair? Is, do you burn up there, you know, suntan? I don't know. I have to ask somebody. Uh, I think Jonah was bald. That's why he, he is just unhappy. He's an unhappy camper. He's not content that Nineveh was spared. He's not content the plant was destroyed. He's not content that this worm came. He's not content that this east wind come. He is so unhappy that the next verse says, it, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. That's how discontent he is, that he wants to die. Maybe the outline should say, not content, therefore he wants to die. Three times he says he wants to die. Please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. The Hebrew word here is tov, T-O-V. There, there is a sense of pleading. There is a sense of urgency. It's forceful. It's in, in, in grammatic, we say it is in, in the imperative. Basically saying, kill me now. It's better for me to die. That's how forceful it comes out. It's strong language. You don't read it in English, but in Hebrew, it's intense. Kill me now. Jonah is a prophet, but he's backslidden. He's spiritually, spiritually, spiritually blind, and he's acting like a baby. And let me tell you, there is nothing worse, nothing worse than an adult who's having a temper tantrum. Have you ever seen that? I, I go to the store sometimes, you see the baby, or the kid, you know, and they put all the candy right there at their eye level. Hey, I want candy, I want candy. And the kid has a meltdown. <laughs> and he's like, man, I'm glad that ain't my kid. But when an adult does that and is having a, a, a meltdown, are you serious? I mean, this is a man of God. This is a prophet. And he's doing this? I believe that Jonah is out of touch. Out of touch with the people, 
out of touch with his preaching and out of touch with his priorities. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. He's having a tantrum. Do you think God is angry that the Ninevites repented? No. He doesn't have his mind on the things of God. He's just angry. Jonah is spiritually asleep. Just like the church today in America, by and large, is spiritually asleep. Wake up, Jonah. Wake up, church. Don't be spiritually blind, backslidden babies who have a temper tantrum when you don't get your way. That's what Jonah is doing. He's so discontent that he wants to die. And I thought about this and I said, you know what? I noticed something here. I'm going to give you some contrast. Compare these. Jonah had unrighteous anger. Jesus had righteous anger. Jonah went to Nineveh willingly. Jesus came to earth. I'm sorry. Jonah went to Nineveh unwillingly. Jesus came to earth willingly. Jonah was full of self-righteousness. Jesus was full of humility. Jonah was full of hate. Jesus was full of love. Jonah spent three days and three nights inside a fish. Jesus spent three days and three nights in the grave. Jonah cared only about himself. Jesus cared about everybody. Jonah spent 40 days preaching wrath. Jesus spent 40 days after the resurrection preaching the kingdom of God. Jonah sat on the rocks in the hills. Jesus sits on the throne in heaven. Jonah was disobedient. Jesus was obedient even to the death of the cross. Jonah wasn't willing that any Ninevites should live, but that all should perish. Jesus isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. Jonah wants his enemies destroyed. Jesus wants his enemies forgiven. What a contrast. Jonah does nearly everything wrong. He gets into so much trouble. But despite that, despite that, he is still God's chosen, beloved prophet. He was the reluctant prophet. He was the backslidden prophet. He's the worst prophet in the Old Testament. And yet, one of the most successful. Jonah represents Israel. But you know who else Jonah represents? He represents us. We are all Jonah. We have all sinned. What does that say? That God still loved Jonah despite the fact he is not what he should be. Jonah was not teachable. He was not content. But God still loved Jonah. And God still loves you. Despite you're not everything that you should be. God still loves you. And he's working in you, molding you, teaching you. God is not done with you yet. God still loves you. God is teaching Jonah a practical lesson. Not with words, but with the plant, with the worm, and the scorching east wind. And they are used to expose Jonah's wicked, self-righteous, misplaced priorities. God is using these Things to teach Jonah about his divine mercy and compassion. How patient is God? Oh my gosh. It, it, it blows my mind how patient God is. He is patient and he is 
waiting for you to come to Christ. He's patiently drawing you. Don't harden your heart. God is patient, but there is a line that he will not cross. God says in Romans 9.15, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It's humbling to know that God had mercy on us. When you realize he didn't have to. He doesn't have to have mercy on us. He doesn't owe mercy to anybody. And what you believe determines your actions. Jonah truly believed that the Ninevites were uh, Israel's enemies, and he really wanted them destroyed. That's what he believed. It determined his actions. He felt they don't deserve God's mercy because they're wicked sinners. They're terrorists. But he doesn't understand how God could show mercy to evil people and still be just. He doesn't realize that he needs God's mercy just as much as they do. If you believe that there is no right and wrong, you just want to live by whatever code you want, do what you want, your beliefs determine your actions and ultimately your destiny. We as Christians, we move in the direction of our comfort zone, but God wants us to get out of that comfort zone and sacrifice. So one, Jonah was not compliant. Two, Jonah was not content. And last, my last point, Jonah was not compassionate. Verse 10 and 11, the last two verses. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Of all the books in the Bible... Jonah has the most unexpected turns and overlooked final chapter. It confronts the unbelievable heart problem of Jonah. He isn't concerned about the 120,000 men, women, and children who turned to God and repented. Do, let me ask you a question. Do musicians get angry after they played a great song or a symphony or something and people <laughs> clap? Do, do musicians get angry? Let me say, do musicians get angry? What about a, a sports player when they, when they hit a home run or catch a, a touchdown? Do, do they get angry when everybody stands up and cheers and claps? Yay! No. no, exactly. So, Jonah's reaction, it's shocking. Especially for a prophet. Jonah should have been excited that 120,000 souls repented and got saved. And the Bible says that there's a celebration in heaven when only one person repents and believes. Only one. Can you imagine a hundred thousand more? They must have had a ticker tape parade on the golden streets there. They just celebrated. Celebrated. Jonah is having a meltdown. Are you serious? He's having a meltdown. He is not compassionate. What is the definition of compassion? To grieve over someone or something. To have your heart broken. To weep for it. God tells Jonah, you had compassion for the plant. You wept over it, Jonah. Your heart became attached to it. When it died, you grieved over it. God says, you weep over plants. But I weep and have compassion for people. 
God is teaching Jonah a lesson. He basically said, you care more about that plant than you care about these people. God is teaching Jonah a lesson. And I found three of them right here. One, it is not right to care more about things than about people. Two, it is not right to care more about our comfort than about the lost souls who who are in, in danger. And three, Someone asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus says in Matthew twenty two thirty seven, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then he says, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. This is the heart right here. Jonah was not prepared to love his enemies. Just like us. Yeah, that happened thousands of years ago. This is today. How does that apply to us today? We are not prepared to love our enemies. Maybe might be a family member, might be a neighbor, might even be somebody in the church. This is a powerful point, powerful message. It applies to everybody here, including me. Real compassion is the voluntary attachment of our heart to others. It means that if your spouse, if your, if your child, your parents, or family members are lost, that makes you sad. You are affected by it, even to the point of tears. It affects you. It affects me. It affects us. And at, I'm glad this church, we, at Christmas time, we take a collection. We, we try to send and help those less fortunate, especially at Christmas time. We take a, a collection for the kids in Yakima. We take a collection for the children in, in um, India. We, we take a collection to help the, the uh, pastors there that are learning in Mita. We take a collection to help um, people. It's missionaries. We help them out financially. Helping those less fortunate than ourselves. That's compassion. And in verse 11, God says of these violent, sinful people who do not know their right hand from their left. Some commentators, oh, this is a reference to children. I believe it's a figure of speech that means they are spiritually blind and have lost their way. That doesn't mean that God excuses their blindness or their ignorance. But you know what it does? It shows remarkable understanding and compassion. Wow. In Luke 19.41, Jesus was riding into, into Jerusalem on the last week of his life. He knew that his life was going to suffer at the hands of the, the religious leaders and the mob. But instead of being full of wrath or pity like Jonah... When he saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, only you, had known what this day would bring. But now it is hidden from your eyes, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. And in Luke thirteen thirty four, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how 
I long to gather you as, as a, how I long to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Wow. That. And then he says, and you were not willing. Wow. That is compassion. On the cross in Luke, Luke 23, 34, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. What is Jesus saying? He says, Father, they're torturing me. They're killing me. But they don't know what they're doing. Here, Jesus, with a heart perfect and generous love, is the weeping God of Jonah chapter 4 in human form. Why? Why did Jesus do that? To save sinners. He loves us voluntarily. We don't deserve it. He chooses to love God is compassionate, abounding in love, and he chooses to attach himself to you, to us. I don't know if you noticed here at the end of this chapter, it doesn't end with, and they all lived happily ever after. No, it ends with an open-ended question. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? In ending, how will Jonah be remembered? What is his legacy? A rebellious prophet, disobedient prophet, an angry prophet. Jonah placed his will above the will of God. Jonah started out as a hero and ended as a zero. How will you be remembered? What is the legacy you are leaving? Are you compassionate? Are you isolated? Are you out of touch? How you finish the race is more important than how you start. And this is important to everyone here. Jonah isn't compassionate. Because he's only thinking of himself. Nine times in nine verses, he talks about himself. Isn't this what I said when I was in my country? In my country, that's why I fled. I knew that you were gracious. I do well to be angry. Please take my life from me. Better for me to die than for me to live. I, me, my. Jonah cares only about himself and not about what God cares about. The book of Jonah isn't about a giant fish, but about God's grace to all the people and the need for repentance. Christian and non-Christian, everyone needs repent to repent. And the main purpose is to get Christians to understand God's amazing grace. Grace is what sets Christianity apart from all the other faiths. Not cheap grace, live like you want, but grace that is greater than all our sin. You can come to Christ today. You can be forgiven of your sins. You can pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I, I turn from my wicked ways and I turn to you as my Lord and Savior. Will you come today? Will you come to Jesus and repent and believe? Let us bow our heads in prayer. Is there someone here this morning that says, yes, I've broken God's law and I want to turn my life over to God. I need to be forgiven. Is God speaking to your heart today? Will you come to Christ? Will you turn to the Lord? If he forgave Nineveh, he'll forgive you. You say, Pastor, pray for me. 
Can I see your hand? Every head bowed and every eye closed. Lord, I thank you for this day, and I pray, God, that you use your word, speak to our hearts, especially to mine, God. I just ask and pray you be glorified and that your people be edified. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, Amen.